are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Malvika and I help connect businesses with tech talent and today I'm your host. I'd like to say a big thank you to everyone for joining me today to discuss creating high-performing teams. We've got a really impressive panel, um, so I'd love to kick off our conversation by asking who you are, what you do, and what you're passionate about. I'll start us off. Uh, I'm Malvika. I'm part of Evolution Australia's tech consultants. I specialize in recruiting .NET engineers within Melbourne, uh, and I'm particularly pas passionate about building lasting relationships with my clients and candidates and helping teams grow. So I'm going to switch it over to Abhishan first, if you want to introduce yourself for me. Thank you, Malvika. Uh, I'm Abushan. I'm an engineering manager at Five9. Uh, Five9 is a leading provider of cloud contact uh, center software. And uh, I'm passionate about building scalable, scalable uh, products, building uh, teams. Uh, and uh, I, outside of tech, uh, I love to hike. I love nature. Uh, I teach meditation and yoga. Uh, uh, through a foundation called the Art of Living Foundation. And um, I recently moved to Melbourne from New York. So pretty new to the tech scene here. And I'm very excited to be uh, discussing with you all uh, in this uh, awesome topic. Thanks. Perfect. Thanks for that, Avishan. Uh, very nice, very great to have you with us as well. We'll switch it over to John, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Hi, Malvika, and uh, thanks for um, inviting me to speak on this podcast. Um, my name is John um, Vizi. I'm originally Irish, you can probably get that by the accent. Um, been living in Australia for 26 plus years since I moved from London, where I first started working. Um, I'm a lead architect slash engineering director with WePro Limited. Um, we're, I've just joined them about four plus months ago. Um, prior to that, I was at AGL Energy for six years, and I'd be telling you too many, too many stories about how other, how long and other companies I've worked for. Um, give away my age. Um, yeah, my hobbies: relaxing as much as I can. Um, I like to watch good movies. Um, so I've had plenty of time with with COVID to sit down and, and get binging on Netflix and whatever other streaming services are available. So, yeah, looking forward to the chat. Perfect. Thank you. Amazing stuff. Now, Alan, did you want to take over for our listeners? Absolutely. Uh, so my name is Alan Jones. I'm the GM of Software Engineering at E2I2, uh, the Applied Artificial Intelligence Institute at Deakin Uni. I've uh, been with the group that I'm with for about 10 years in a few different incarnations. Uh, we focus on um, building AI, partnering with uh, businesses, industry partners, um, external institutes who are looking to leverage AI uh, and are kind of at ground zero of, of how they do that. Um, and we try to educate and sort of bridge that gap in translation um, to be able to make the most out of AI uh, in, in whatever their needs are. Um, as part of my role, I lead the engineering capability within our group um, and sort of focus on uh, the culture of that, uh, growing the team, um, providing development and uh, progression opportunities, and sort of oversee the, the project delivery for the group. Um, so I've been sort of in that space um, for about a decade now, and, and a big part of our focus is taking uh, IP that's uh, produced by research um, and sort of uh, making the most out of that in an industry or commercial setting. Um, my interests uh, sort of in and around and outside of that are um, systems and sometimes technology, because um, that, uh, you know, uh, can depend on, on the day and, and application of it. I'm also really interested in uh, community psychology and mental health um, and sort of producing impact and change through the, the work I do. Um, from a, a sort of hobby perspective, perspective. Um, I'm quite into uh, media as um, as John is and uh, pop culture and, and kind of, you know, how a few of those elements that I mentioned tie together and um, make the world go around. 
Very, very nice. Brilliant stuff, Alan. Um, look, I'm keen to dive straight first into the first question as well then, um, which is how do you measure a high performing team? Whoever wants to kick us off. Um, I can I can get us started. <laughs> so I think it's 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 first important for us to understand like uh, what are the factors that really make up uh, a highly uh, performing team. And uh, then we go from there to actually measuring uh, how the team is doing. Uh, without uh, having really the understanding of what are the factors, it becomes a little tricky. And uh, uh, for, for me, what I've found is uh, the study that uh, Google has done on team effectiveness. I find that to be uh, really helpful. I, uh, and uh, one of my, one of my uh, favorite books that I actually started reading when I was uh, starting to uh, team lead was uh, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Uh, and uh, uh, I have found those that study by Google also aligned with the book uh, uh, from uh, Patrick uh, Lencioni. And uh, I try to uh, kind of combine them together and uh, uh, apply it uh, in, in the teams I work for so that I have an understanding of like how uh, I can make the team performant, and uh, uh, the the factors that uh, that I mentioned are uh, basically the first one is uh, psychological sef- safety. Um, just in, in simple words, like just the members feeling comfortable in the team and uh, feeling uh, uh, that sense of uh, belongingness, so that they. Uh, can speak with each other openly and uh, there's a sense of uh, trust and whenever this is lacking then the uh, there's lack of trust and it's 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 harder to uh, uh, establish a performing team and uh, uh, the second one uh, mentioned is uh, dependability uh, where members can depend on each other and actually uh, work together uh, and uh, trust each other uh, make sure there is uh, accountability and uh, each other are uh, everyone every time team member is holding each other uh, responsible accountable towards things that they are working on and uh, i found that when 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 that kind of environment is created then it's really uh, it really helps for to create a, a team where people can easily work with each other uh, and uh, uh, progress on uh, work they're doing and uh, the third one is uh, uh, structure and clarity. So having clarity on who's doing what is so important. I think like uh, the the past was more about uh, hierarchical uh, structured uh, teams and uh, who the industry I think is moving more towards uh, just having clarity on uh, who's doing what and making sure that's happening and each other holding accountable for, to get those things done. So I think if there needs to be clarity on who's doing what, um, so there are different models that gets used for that, like RACI model, ASCII model, which uh, really helps to uh, get that clarity. And the uh, the last two, I think, are tied up quite closely, which is uh, meaning or sense of purpose, and then the impact. I think we spend about eight hours of our day at work, and it's it's really important for us to uh, feel that sense of purpose at work, and it just doesn't feel like a burden when we go to work. And it's important that the members in the team feel that. And uh, uh, the last one, the impact is about making sure after the work is done, like the members are feeling that there's some impact that they made. And uh, uh, I would say like when we come to measuring uh, the performance of of the team, then we look at these factors and see what state the team is in. And it could be as simple as doing one-on-ones with the members in the team uh, to understand how they feel about these factors, and then uh, uh, taking it to another level and doing more of a group exercise where everybody uh, chips in, maybe votes uh, into how they feel about these uh, things. Um, and I found like these to be quite uh, quite effective. I've applied it in the teams I've worked for. Um, the leaders I've worked for, they've applied it uh, where I've uh, worked, and I've found it uh, to be uh, quite uh, effective in really understanding the health um, and uh, there's one last thing is with I think these these things that I just mentioned can be uh, 
uh, applicable in not just software uh, engineering teams, but also other teams. Uh, when it comes to more uh, software engineering, uh, software development teams, uh, what I've uh, found quite uh, helpful is uh, with the rise of like DevOps uh, culture, there is uh, different uh, uh, metrics that uh, are being used to measure the performance of, uh, of software development teams. And uh, for that, I find the, uh, the book uh, called Accelerate uh, to be really uh, amazing uh, to go through and understand. And I've, I, the previous company I worked for, they, the metrics that was mentioned uh, in the book, which is like uh, mean time to resolution, change failure rate, these kind of metrics, when they are measured for each of the teams uh, who is de delivering, then I've found uh, the team is motivated to uh, uh, do the work uh, effectively to maintain the uh, metrics. And also uh, there's clarity amongst uh, not just engineers, but also leadership on how the performance is going. So yeah, that was, uh, that was a bit of a long answer probably, but I found like uh, a two-step two approach, I would say, start with the basics, understand the health, measure that, and then if want to take it to another level, like do more metrics-driven uh, measurement. Perfect. Would anyone like to add to that one? Yeah, I think I, I, I would um, concur with a lot of what you've said there, Abhishan. Um, I mean, very comprehensive um, answer that covers all the bases. Um, but again, it, it all comes back to the, the question of how do you measure a high performing team and, and um, you know, the, there's the age old um, quote that, um, you know, what you can't measure, you, can't, you cannot improve. Um, so you've got to be able to get those metrics in a meaningful way. Um, and again, this applies to all types of teams, whether it's a UX team or a, you know, engineering development team or a DevOps team. Um, you've got to be able to measure how that team is doing and how well the team is working together. Um, in, in, in an agile environment that, that I've worked in, one of the biggest pitfalls, and unfortunately, it probably happens a lot in, in 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 probably in your environment as well, is teams are measured by the number of points that they deliver in a sprint. Um, it's not a very good way of, of measuring a team's performance because all you get is teams measuring sizing high, and a team that would do 55 points in a sprint is seen as performing better than a team that does 35 points in a sprint. So that's that's just comparing apples with oranges. It, it's not a good not a good metrics to, to use. But again, it, it it's about ensuring that you've got a high high performing team. The one thing I would always ensure or try and ensure is that it's a, it's a fun a fun team, a fun environment. Um, if if people are happy to to go to work or start work in in a remote environment. And it's a happy, you know, safe place and inclusive environment. Um, then the knock-on effect of that is that you will get a a better performing individual, and and they're in a better performing team. Perfect. I do think, um, based on what Abushan said as well, with with the with the book in mind, there's a really good cultural aspect in in the perform in. The how well a high-performing team can perform. Um, so, Alan, did you have any comments on that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think a, a really good foundation was set for this discussion, what was covered um, first um, first round. John, yeah, added some really good points to that uh, in terms of the trustability of your metrics and what they represent. Um, I think it's really important um, when you, you've got metrics set up as well to make sure that they're resonant across the whole team. Um, so, you, you know, you may have a set of metrics that are useful to you as a, as a manager to steer your decision making. Um, but if, if you A, don't have, um, you know, that conversation with the team uh, to understand the efficacy of those metrics and, and sort of share in the, um, the outcomes that they might yield and, and perspectives on that. 
um, then you can kind of uh, be a bit misled. Um, and, and, you know, as, as John covered, um, metrics can be you know, quite vanity um, and, and, you know, as a result, sort of damaging to, to team confidence. Um, I think it's important to, um, you know, if, you, if you're setting a, a sort of performance goal um, and, and sharing in, you know, the, uh, the target of metrics that um, the, the team can kind of resonate with uh, what the, the metrics are saying. Um, and, you know, if, if it's a high performing team and the, the metrics correlate with that, um, that, that you kind of understand, uh, like, what's the reasoning behind that. Um, and likewise, if, if your performance isn't where you, know, you ultimately want it to be, um, you can raise those conversations and, and do so in a way that's non-judgmental and doesn't make assumptions about uh, why they've um, you know, fallen short of what your expectations may have been. Um, so I think um, having some, some well-formed metrics comes through a bit of evolution and discussion um, with your team. And, and if you've got that dialogue set, um, where people can contribute to that discussion and and um, have that reflect the uh, adaptation of the metrics, um, then I, I think you, you're kind of on the money. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, as, as is the story with metrics, the, the devil's in the details. It's, it's not necessarily um, the, the number you want to go off. It's the story that um, you can sort of tell and share that goes with that. Perfect. Was there anyone that wanted to kind of have any few, any more comments in regards to the creating a high performance team and how we measure them? I think uh, really agree with uh, both John and Alan uh, on it's it's not as straightforward uh, to set up a metric and make sure like everybody concurred to that and align to the idea and uh, also the measurement itself can get really tricky. Um, that's what I uh, observed when we were uh, trying to do that in the uh, last job I was uh, working for. And uh, uh, I've seen the value there, but it's 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 definitely something to uh, uh, align with the team and make sure like they're on board for it before you just like go ahead and try to uh, force it on them because that doesn't really uh, work. Um, yeah. Agree. There's some really great insights there. Um, I think we can move it into the next question actually that was posed. So now that you've actually kind of uncovered um, how we've created high performing teams um, and, and how it's already made up of a group of high performing individuals, what sort of strategies are we going to employ to ensure that the team continues to perform and, and remain motivated, especially in the midst of the great resignation, for example? Yeah, I, I can jump in on that one. Um, I think it's 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 one of the challenges I've I've had um, in in my in my previous role where where I had a lot of um, people management. Um, is how, how do you keep the, the teams um, motivated? Um, and and with with a lot of disruption, um, mainly from from recruit recruitment people trying to take my people away because of, of a, a fairly big um, change in, in, in market conditions, I suppose, over the last, you know, six to 12 months. And um, so it, it's to, to, to retain somebody and keep them focused and motivated and, and high performing. Um, it, it, the, the, the strategies that I, I employed were, were to make sure that they had a you know, a meaningful um, set of uh, targets to 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 try and 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 achieve, obviously in line with the the business and and what they were working on, um, but also getting that high level of of and and these were engineering teams, so a high level of engineering focus where the 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 individuals were constantly improving themselves and bringing the, the the people along with them where you had you know people that were developing their leadership skills um, and 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 bringing along new junior engineers to to improve their skills how they work together um, and make sure that the teams were were 
you know, communicating well and, and uh, ensuring nobody, no one was left behind or anything like that. Um, and making sure that the goals were, were, were there. So if, if you've got attainable goals, um, that that's something that motivates people to attain things and, and get things done, but not not overload them. Uh, because again, it's, it's meant to be fun, not just pressure, pressure, pressure. So uh, and and at the end of the day, um, engineers, I think I think are easy to to motivate because give them something new and they'll delete it up. Um, give them a MacBook Pro and they'll they'll do whatever the whatever you want. Um, you know, as opposed to some other underperforming laptop. Um, and and recognize recognize the efforts. Um, you know, clap people on the back when they do a good job. Um. And something that you know that will get them working for you and for themselves. Yeah, definitely. I think there was quite a trend, especially starting it off in the US with the Great Resignation. Um, you know, did you feel the effects of it moving it into Australia? Did you feel the effects of it uh, with within your environment, John? Um, I had I had a sort of a mixed story on it because. Well, probably about eighteen months ago, in in the in the depth of of COVID arriving, you know, probably March, April, uh, twenty what twenty nineteen was it? It's that long. Um, my company were one of the few uh, people actually hiring people um, in Melbourne, and there was a lot of talent that that I could get. That were that were on the market, um, so I actually found it reasonably easy. Again, it's 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 a process and recruitment. It's you know it's still you're still looking at hundreds and hundreds of candidates, um, and it's it's filtering to those candidates, making sure you get the the right fit and the right culture, and um, which is most important. Um, and then I got the other side of the stick. 12 months later, where, sorry, dog, back now. Um, the other side was 12 months later when um, the, 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 the gates opened up or the floodgates opened with, um, with other companies opening the wallet and, and you know, projects being approved and, and so on and so forth. I found it difficult to, to keep the, the, the people that I had hired. So, um, yeah, it, it 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 was a tale of two two cities, I suppose you could, you could call it that. Absolutely. So I can see how you got both sides of it. Um, you know, did did anyone else feel the effects of it? Um, and what strategies did you guys um, keep to ensure that you kept your engineers on board during that time? I actually um, ended up moving two jobs during. Uh, <laughs> during the pandemic so i have a totally different story um uh, before the pandemic i i was just uh, switching jobs and then the pandemic happened and uh, surprisingly i think we're lucky with uh, in tech um there's tech is such a booming industry right now uh, and uh, there's so many opportunities out there and that's what i saw in um, uh, I moved from New York. So in New York area, I saw a lot of uh, jobs that were uh, popping up, uh, many startups hiring because there were a new uh, new kind of problems they were solving. And uh, when I decided to move to Melbourne and then uh, I was in quarantine and I'm looking for uh, jobs to uh, change to. And I was amazed by how many positions that were open in Melbourne. Um, and uh, I think it's, I see uh, tech industry booming. So definitely there's an opportunity out there. Um, it could also be one of the reasons why uh, it's, it was tricky uh, uh, for uh, people to find uh, uh, new talent because uh, whenever I was having chat with uh, recruiters, they kept uh, mentioning that it's the uh, market for uh, people who are looking for jobs. So that's, that, was, that was my uh, experience uh, during this uh, situation. Uh, probably Alan has another story. Yeah, I'd say my um my story is probably closer to John's um Abishan than yours. Um, given that I stuck around where I, I was, but um 
yeah, I can understand that um, that would be both confronting but also exciting with all the opportunities that were, were out there. Um, I, I think, yeah, some really good points raised around um, both a lot of the factors that are going to um, keep people uh, in, in a position where they've been and, and persevere through uh, what are pretty trying circumstances, um, as, as well as, you know, uh, highlighting and acknowledging the opportunity space that's out there and um, certainly the reach of, of recruiters and um, even just people's networks who, who may grant them opportunities for um, a job change. Um, certainly, I think a lot of people, if, if they're kind of, you know, at a point where they're on the edge of, um, you know, feeling a bit of dissatisfaction um, in their, their current position, you know, all the, the confounding factors of the lockdown can uh, certainly exacerbate that. Um, so one thing that I found really important, uh, I suppose it's sort of a bit of a meta layer across a, a bunch of the points that John made is is kind of understanding individualized needs um, and uh, understanding to, you know, if somebody, if you think somebody's in a position where uh, they're not um, as, as happy as you'd, you'd want them to be in the position they're in, um, understanding why that is and, and whether... Um, you know, there, there's room to incorporate, um, you know, some of the change that might be needed to um, sort of continue to, to motivate them and, and help persevere through uh, through lockdowns and, um, you know, the degradation in communication that can kind of come with that sometimes. Um, I, I think as well, just um, looking at opportunities to uh, sort of balance out some of the factors that may not necessarily be um, you know, possible at a given time during the pandemic. So things like, um, you know, salary increases and, and promotions um, often, you know, had to go on hold because of, um, you know, financial caps, there's layoffs, um, and that's that's a lot to manage for, you know, an organisation with a HR department that has to kind of keep everybody at, at pace with uh, that much turmoil. So I think really kind of doubling down on, what your values are and um, understanding, uh, you know, what that that means to, to people within your group um, is is a big thing too. Uh, if you can kind of hold a, an identity and purpose for what you're doing, um, that that's a, sort of carries you through a lot of, you know, uncertain times and change and um, helps people keep focused and, and aligning, I guess, across the, the group from where they are in the organisation to the leadership levels and, um, you know, all the bits and pieces that make the organization function. I think having a, a kind of holistic and, um, you know, functional environment was a, a really big thing uh, for people and, and sort of motivated some of the decisions they might have made to change organization, um, as well as, you know, it kind of put them in a position of empowerment, I guess, with all these opportunities out there um, and, you know, circumstances that, that may be more, um, compatible with with what they're after and where they are in their career at a given time um, can yeah really kind of motivate people to to make the jump so you can kind of fill some of those gaps and and make sure you're having conversations with people to understand where they're at and are they aligned with your organization and the projects uh, they're on and the, the team um, that's where you kind of surface that you know idea of whether this person's just um, you know kind of having some like might be having some circumstantial challenges at the time, we can kind of course correct on that or whether, you know, they might be drifting more towards something that is more existentially fulfilling for them for where their kind of lifestyle um, idea is at. Yeah, I think as well, um, Alan, to the point of motivating and, and, and keeping, keeping teams highly performing going forward, it, it's gotten more challenging with, with the remote working paradigm that we, we've now got um, and moving forward there are companies that will try and mandate you know people going in, back into the office and then there'll be other you know companies like the likes of Atlassian that say we only need you in the office for four days in the year so how does that then translate to you know motivating and, and retaining people in the environment and making sure that you're you know flexible enough um in your approach to satisfy everyone because 
you know, uh, we did polls um, in, in the height of the pandemic of, you know, when it finishes in three months, which obviously hasn't panned out, but when it when it when it finishes, how many days would you want to come back into the office? And most people said two days in, in our case, um, which will obviously have challenges to office space and, and the the builders in, in, in Australia that, that are in, in, in Melbourne specifically for where I am. Um, lots of empty office space, but also, you know, how do you then spin that around and take advantage of that and, and create a, you know, a really fun space to work in. Um, so it's, yeah, it, there's certain, certainly going to be challenges moving forward. I, I don't know how, how you guys um, think about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the the sort of blended model, um, if there is that level of flexibility amongst your group two, is going to be um, a hurdle in and of itself to cross. Because I, I think you know, in a lot of cases, um, meaningful conversations happen organically within the office space, um, and you can't schedule every every chat um, that that might sort of bring value and purpose to the group. Um, you know, outside of you know, project meetings where you can maybe huddle in. Uh, a space within the office and connect with people that might be remote. Um, so I think the the distribution of your team amongst that is, is an important consideration, and, and it is a, a conversation to to have with people. I think because you know with the that empowerment side that ties to the great resignation, um, if you if you're not having that conversation, then it's sort of a a disempowerment or a mandate that that people are, are in a position where. Um, they don't really want to take kindly to, I think, after um, having that flexibility, understanding what benefits can come from um, certainly working from home um, has its disadvantages and, and challenges, certainly. Um, but yeah, I, I think that empowerment's there where people can make a bit more of a decision about their options. And so you know, if you're wanting to re retain your high-performing people, then um, that's a, a something you have to take into account is is you know what what is fulfilling for them day to day and in, in terms of how they spend their time and, and where it is um, I think uh, just reflecting on the the performance point too a really good um, insight I think is is understanding how people feel about their performance uh, when they're distributed remotely as well because uh, there's less kind of human contact there's less um, I suppose you, you know that kind of adjacent um, uh, team collaboration and and harmonization. So you know you get less opportunities, say to to help in the way that might you know, emerge from just being able to kind of tap somebody on the shoulder or you know walk across the room. Um, and and I found that it, it took a little bit to adjust to to, to that and um, have people kind of understand that you know um, they're, they're they're performing well in an environment that's different. Um, as well as um, sort of invalidating the idea that um, performance is, is necessarily going to be consistent with when the world was a bit more stable. You know, if, if people are going sort of duress through duress and hard times and, and burnout, which is, is common uh, throughout the industry, I think, then, um, you know, holding a, the same expectation of that when the, the playing field's changed is, 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 is problematic for both sides, right? I think uh, what happened is basically we all ended up uh, put put into the situation where where everybody has to be remote and it wasn't really expected, right? And then it came up uh, like a surprise and uh, companies tried different uh, things and uh, the different things that uh, the that I have seen to work is basically. Uh, what uh, I think uh, Alan and John both uh, mentioned is about understanding what the team is feeling like, um, really uh, giving them the idea of what is the goal. Uh, and uh, the factor that I was talking about earlier, which is about uh, having a sense of purpose. Uh, I think if that is lost because we are remote, then it's, it's even harder to really uh, uh, get everyone motivated because uh, now the human touch is uh, is more difficult and uh, we are on videos and uh, 
in the office we were like seeing each other there would be some expressions all of that that as that seem minor but they are like quite valuable uh, as a uh, sense of getting feedback about like how things are and uh, i think with the change that we have uh, uh, have been uh, put to uh, we basically have to do uh, put some more effort in really trying to understand what uh, each of the team members uh, are how they are feeling uh, uh, are they aligned are they clear with what they need to do uh, have uh, that clarity on uh, their responsibility right um, and new new things i think need, needs to be introduced like there we used to have like probably team gatherings where in the uh, at launch time i would go for coffee walks with the uh, the team members and even like cross team members just to uh, get to know them but now like i don't have a coffee walk like what i have to uh, do is like basically set up a zoom session and then uh, say hello and uh, as it's not as effective but i've found it to help really uh, to uh, bring in that sense of purpose and uh, have uh, a basically that sense of togetherness in the team which is i think very important uh, especially if we are getting uh, into this mode of completely being remote uh, and uh, yeah more and more of that uh, and it's uh, at the same time like i think some teams and even like i've gotten this feedback that people are getting exhausted being on the zoom right is this the whole zoom burnout going on um, so i think it's a balance uh, and uh, just understanding uh, your uh, members in your team in the employees um and together working with hr probably to understanding how uh, we can make it better um yeah perfect did anyone add did one anyone want to add any more um on on that topic all righty i think we we'll move on i think we we spoke about empowering each other um it actually ties in a little bit into the next question but how does empowering leadership actually correlate to high performing teams yes i'll uh start with that one um so i i think uh a big part of um the the circumstances we've found ourselves in over the last couple of years is that uh there's a, a level of kind of isolation separation um that you can sort of opt to um offer some autonomy and and leadership uh within um and i think that that gives people a, a sense of control over um uh, things that that may be more difficult um in you know an environment where we're all more distributed and there's less kind of uh social lubricant i suppose to to kind of collaborate um, naturally, and you you you're kind of missing those rituals that that help with um, the the team bonding. So, I think uh, a big big part of that comes down to how your organisation defines leadership, um, and what that entails, and and how it's supported. Um, so that that might be uh, you know making adjustments so that um, you know people aren't say blocked. Um, in in ways that they would be by um, you know elements of of the hierarchy within an organisation that are normally present that that can be kind of gatekeepers uh, whether it be you know for decisions or um, initiations of change um, and I think yeah enabling people to be able to uh, have a level of control over their destiny on um, some things is is quite empowering um, so you know that. There may be um, limited scope for that within your organization if, um, you know, depending on how sort of progressive or conservative the the style of the organization may be. Um, but I think there's, you know, little microcosms at the very least where, um, you know, if, let's say you've got a, a software engineer collaborating with, uh, you know, a BA and a PM, all right? Um, you may not necessarily have the support uh, or you know capacity uh, within those teams um, to sort of deliver uh, on things in the way that you would normally want to because um, you know maybe your people are getting getting poached and you're having to bring on new team members and readjust and collaborate with that right um, so I think that's at least from my experience I found um, kind of having a little bit of blend between those roles can be really helpful 
um, and overcome some of the uh, the hurdles that come with um, you know communication struggles, um, uh, accountability and, and ownership of things, um, and and how the team sort of helps you know work each other work together and um, and sort of move forward on things. Um, so yeah, a, a practical realization of that uh, within within one of the projects I've run. Um, recently is is kind of um, uh, giving the the tools and and sort of support for um, some of the software engineers to do that more kind of um, business analyst type um, work because then you know there's there's less of a you know capacity blocker for the work that they do um, and and they're a bit more self-determining when it comes to progress and and you know not getting held up by a team that has kind of cross-functional expectations, if that makes sense. Um, beyond that, you can sort of look beyond the, the scope of a project and, and say, you know, if, if my organization is trying to change and adapt to this, this new working world, um, how can the people within the group uh, contribute to that? Um, you know, whether it's just like starting a ritual um, that, that may, you know, sort of promote um, that, collaboration and camaraderie building within the team, um, what, what support levers do we have for people being able to do that? Um, can, can somebody who's considered low in the hierarchy uh, sort of say, you know, I think we should, I really think we should do this. Um, I'd like to initiate it. Um, you know, do, is there a pathway for them to write a business case that um, would, would go up to a decision maker who can provide financial approval for that? Um, so I think, you know, shifting some of those gears that, that depending on where you are, um, you know, allow people a little bit more self-determination, um, then gives them some level of, you know, control and input onto how your organization shifts. Um, I think, you know, reflecting on the, the discussion about metrics and conversation around that, um, that's kind of a key part is, you know, if somebody um, has you know a particular perspective or feeling towards how uh, performance is is kind of working for you know your team. Um, what what can they do to to change that? Um, how can they they show leadership? Um, and so yeah, ha having an idea of what leadership is, how you enable that and support it, um, and how you might kind of um, uh, distance that from the idea of of leadership being purely hierarchical. I think is um, yeah an important consideration and and gives that autonomy and and control that that people might be seeking to you know make, make a positive change in their work and their job. Definitely agree there. Did anyone add any um, comments further to Alan's statement there? Um, I think that's a that's a that's a topic that's really uh, close to my heart because I've always found it really helpful when. Um, and empowered uh, and motivated and encouraged whenever managers have uh, delegated some part of their work uh, uh, to get me motivated. And uh, I try to do the same with the members in my team. Um, it's, uh, it's, I think, a very uh, effective way to put someone into growing in their position. Uh, as, as engineers, like uh, a lot of the times, uh, we have this understanding that engineering is all about like writing code or writing software, delivering it. But there's so many other aspects that comes to actually being a um, engineering uh, effective engineer, which uh, which can involve communications, uh, like uh, uh, Alan mentioned. It can involve some leadership skills because, like, you have to coordinate with other teams uh, in a way that you uh, are making the decision for the team uh, and. For all of that, uh, it's it's hard to do if you uh, aren't uh, delegated uh, such kind of responsibilities. And uh, I think it really helps uh, a member of a team to grow uh, when uh, a leader is uh, delegating such kind of uh, responsibilities. Um, it's also important that, that, uh, that we find the right kind of uh, things to dele delegate. I've uh, I've also noticed that situations like we, where uh, we uh, leaders when when they are delegating it can be overwhelming for uh, for people who are being delegated the work uh, 
So it's important, I think, to just understand what sort of opportunities fit uh, for that purpose. Um, it could be that uh, communication is one of the things uh, somebody needs to improve on. Maybe try to find a opportunity that will really help them come out of that uh, and uh, delegate that part of work to them uh, and uh, coach in the whole process and not just stay away from the whole uh, uh, whole delegation. So uh, I think uh, if if done in the right way, empowering is is actually really empowering for empowering leadership is actually really empowering for for uh, members in the team uh, and uh, should help them grow in a very short span of time. Uh, and uh, whenever I have had experience from my, my own experience, like when I have felt that uh, I haven't been empowered to uh, do things uh, which uh, I would want to grow into, then it feels uh, like I'm being stifled and not really uh, given given that space to grow and uh, uh, i think it's a it's a great tool to really uh, keep everyone uh, happy and to get work done uh, and to make progress uh, in the team yeah i think you're you're right there um abishan i feel it's 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 you know it's twofold if 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 you empower or you give give the delegate delegate um, responsibilities to somebody, um, it's it's a it's a really good learning opportunity for for that individual, um, and and it it really does help them to to you know fulfil their their giving them um, responsibilities that will make them feel a lot more valued in, in the organization and give them a, a, an opportunity to grow. Um, and and we, we see it quite often nowadays is, is fail fast. Um, you know, if, if, if you're going to fail, you want to fail quickly um, so that you don't go down a path or down a rabbit hole um, and, and also learn from that um, in, in the short term, you know. And if you don't empower people to to do things, um, and and give them, you know, that increased sense of 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 self worth, and to themselves and, and to the organization, um, they're not going to, you know, progress in in their career as as you will want them to, you know. So, be that from a junior engineer to a senior engineer, um, or a team lead. You know what direction do they want to go in? Is it a technical direction or is it a people leadership direction, etc.? Um, you've got to give that opportunity, and and it, it it's something that that it's critical in in my opinion, um, that they get that experience, and and they learn from it. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, and I think your, your point about opportunities is a really strong one. Um, I think it's important not only to have a you know, context and, and position where people can ask for uh, leadership duties or to be able to kind of play with the levers of, of what that entails towards performance as a team, um, but more so that you're uh, your organization and your culture kind of emanates that. And, and so people are self-motivating and self-driving towards that. Um, otherwise, I, I think you tend to put it within the hand, hands of individuals. And if, if you, your group's not uh, unified on, on that kind of philosophy and mindset, um, it is very, uh, as, a, as a result, kind of opportunistic or circumstantial as opposed to, you know, we, we kind of operate this way as a whole. Um, and, and people, you know, have that as part of their mindset and, and can go, all right, well, I think, you know, from my perspective, I want to be able to make this change. And so um, I want to understand what I need to, to do that um, and, and get the support of, of people who, you know, have sort of navigated uh, that world and that environment before. I think a, a big part is um, shedding light on organizational context. You know, if, if a decision... 
that is related to the change that you want to bring about isn't necessarily feasible or it's, you know, um, bounded by a certain sort of time or opportunity, um, it can be hard to realize that if you don't understand that broader context of the organizational pressures. Um, so I think cultivating a mindset where you, you view the world in the way that, you know, one of your managers or, you know, an, an exec team member uh, might think about things, then um, that allows you to, to sort of not only, you know, respect boundaries where there are some, um, but also how to, you know, um, perhaps craft a narrative or uh, put together a case for the change that you want to make that is more likely going to uh, reflect a sort of holistic set of circumstances and and be empathetic of, um, you know, managers and, and higher ups, right? Like they've got a hard job too. Um, you, come, you come up to them with their, your handout um, and, and they've got a, a bunch of different things to do and, and are trying in earnest to push the, the group forward and keep performance high. Um, you know, that's a lot to deal with. So I think um, coaching people to know how to bring about that, that change and, and how that correlates with impact uh, within the group and, and what's valued um, is, is, re- is a really important skill to build in, in somebody who's, you know, um, progressing in leadership and, and seeking empowerment. I think it's it's pretty much a culture. If uh, uh, if you look at it, like if there is a culture of empowerment, uh, then pretty much like uh, the team members, the leaders, even like the uh, senior uh, leaders, all of them are kind of aligned. There's uh, there's this healthy uh, sense of empowering uh, uh, each other going on, and uh, it's 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 not that easy to establish, but if it's coming as a uh, something uh, that the whole company follows and uh, applies, I think it's uh, it's much more easier to establish. And uh, it's it's a responsibility for pretty much everyone to bring out that, like even a person who's just joining the company, it can uh, uh, effectively uh, make uh, that, uh, try to initiate such kind of culture uh, of empowering uh, someone uh, because there's always room to improve and learn for anyone. Um, and uh, it can happen even uh, uh, amongst peers, uh, not necessarily always about uh, uh, leaders like uh, empowering uh, uh, their uh, employees. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's when you, you know, you can feel your culture and and embody it rather than pointing to your website and, you know, <laughs> and, and and trying to sort of uh, carry out what the narrative is there. Mm. We've uh, definitely touched on some very diverse experiences there, but um, very similar and like-minded underlying thoughts, I think, across the whole conversation. Um, so I th- I do think that's everything we've got time for today, gents, unless anyone's got any more rounding comments to to finish us up or anything you'd like to add. Thanks for hosting this. No, anytime. (laughs) Um, Excellent. Well, um, I just wanted to say thank you all for joining in today. There's been some incredible insight um, and discussion around the topic of creating high performance teams. I'd love to be able to do this again as well. There's definitely many more topics out there that I think you guys could really share some fantastic insight on. Um, So yeah, thanks again, everyone. Appreciate it.